Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Ghastly Girls. I hope you are ready for some spooky stories. My name is Ainsley. I'm Linda. And my name is Delaney. Before we get started on the spooky stories, we're going to look at some positive news from the Instagram page, The Happy Broadcast, just as a reminder that not everything is so dark. So a fact I found says that doctors in Scotland and Canada have been prescribing time in nature and free museum visits to help fight anxiety and depression. Wow, I love that. Yeah, that was really nice. It's kind of cute. Mm-hmm. Although I've never heard of someone, like we live in Canada and I've never heard someone be like, oh yeah, gotta go outside. Yeah, can my doctor my prescribe that to me? Yeah. would be pretty nice. <laughs> that would be. I found a really cute one too. So the one I found on the Happy Broadcast was a company has built a hyper real and cruelty-free robotic dolphin that could replace and save thousands of show dolphins held in captivity in marine parks. I adore that. That is so Where do I get one of those dolphins? (laughs) So would it just be like a pretend one one that swims around? Yeah, it's robotic. Hyper real. Like, can I put it oh, in yeah, my bathtub? That's awesome. Or how big do you, like a normal dolphin <laughs> size? Or I'm sure you could get a mini one. <laughs> Just a baby yeah. one. It stays a baby for life. Honestly, like one of those for real friends pet things, but like a hyper-realistic dolphin. It lives in water. <laughs> okay, so my happy broadcast news of the day is It's official. A study by the University of Leeds shows that watching images and videos of cute animals for 30 minutes helps reduce stress and anxiety. I believe it. I do too. I'm also so glad we all went the route of like reducing stress and anxiety by going outside and animals. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Can you tell we're stressed? (laughs) Stressed (laughs) and the only thing that can help is animals. (laughs) Should we get started? I think so. Yeah. So I have a story today. It is called Filth and Consequence, and it was written by Andy and Laura on Creepypasta. Oh, Loki, stop. Jamie batted the fluffy tail out of her face. It tickled her. The cat lazily glanced back at her from his spot on the counter and flicked his tail in her direction once more. Jamie rolled her eyes and got up from her perch on the kitchen stool to join her mother at the oven. The smell of casserole, Jamie's favorite, was making her stomach grumble. Almost done, Pam said over her shoulder before her daughter could say a word. Jamie wrapped her arms around her stomach and groaned loudly. But I'm starving, she whined, drawing out the last syllable for several seconds. Dramatically, she stumbled over to the refrigerator and began rummaging inside for a snack. Jamie, please, ten minutes. Jamie ignored her mother. She had never been good at being patient, and while she may have been over-exaggerating, she was pretty hungry. She hastily placed some cheese and a piece of ham between two slices of bread, set the sandwich on the plate, and headed upstairs with Loki at her heels. You're not even going to eat that, her mother called to her. Jamie closed the door of her bedroom behind her to to muffle the sound of her mother's voice. Nobody could annoy her like her mother. She sat on her bed to eat her the sandwich, but after a few nibbles, she lost interest. Her mother was even more annoying when she was right. Jamie looked for a place to set the plate. Her nightstand was covered with dirty dishes. She carefully stacked a few bowls and pushed them until they teetered over the edge of the wood. She placed the plate in the newly cleared spot and began to pick fleas off her cat while she waited for dinner. Less than a minute later, her mother called to her. Dinner was ready. Jamie pushed the cat from her lap and ran to the kitchen, leaving the uneaten sandwich on the nightstand. Pam looked up as her daughter re-entered the kitchen and almost sighed in disappointment. Jamie had neglected to bring the plate back down. It was a habit she had developed recently. In fact, Pam noticed several new habits and it worried her. Jamie's father moved out eight months ago. The marriage between Pam and Eric had been wrong from the start, 
and the separation was one of the few things they had actually agreed on in the 12 years they were together. However, as great as the decision was for the two adults, Pam knew that the 10-year-old would have a hard time understanding and accepting it. Eric was a good father and talked to his daughter several times a week, but Jamie was struggling with the change. It had begun with a little weight gain. Jamie was young and active, so Pam wasn't overly concerned, but she made a point to watch Jamie's food intake a little more closely. It didn't take her long for Pam to notice that Jamie made snacks quite frequently and would take them to her room to eat. She also noticed that Jamie began keeping her bedroom door closed. One day, while Jamie was at school, Pam ventured in and found out why. The room was a mess. Clothes were strewn all over. The bed was unmade with blankets and pillows spilling onto the floor. Dirty dishes, many with food still on them, littered every surface. As Pam walked through the mess, she noticed bits of food scattered on the floor, as if they had been tossed across the room. Now, as Pam watched Jamie load her plate with casserole, she struggled to contain her irritation. What happened to all of our dishes? She asked. Her tone was harsher than intended. Jamie froze and refused to meet her mother, mother's eyes. She plastered an innocent look on her face. What do you mean? You're lucky to not be eating off the floor because we've apparently been robbed of plates. Looking down at the plate in her hand, Jamie said, Jamie said Then what am I holding? That was another new habit, the talking back. Go to your room and get all of the dishes right now. I don't have any in my room, Jamie shouted. Pam furrowed her brows. The lying was another. I'm not telling you again. Bring them down or I'll... Fine, Jamie shouted. She turned to leave the room. And clean your room tomorrow. It's a mess. Jamie returned to the kitchen, overloaded with dishes. She had to make two trips up and down the stairs to get them all. As punishment, her mother instructed her to wash all of them by hand. Jamie absolutely despised washing dishes. For an hour, she stood at the sink, struggling to remove the hardened food. When she put away the last dish, her mother reheated some of the casserole, and they sat down to eat. Jamie ignored her mother's attempt at making conversation. That night, while Jamie was sleeping, she felt something brush lightly across her face soft as a feather against her cheek. Instinctively, she opened her eyes and rubbed her face. She glanced down and saw Loki curled up next to her, his tail twitching while he slept. That darn cat! She turned to lie on her side, closed her eyes, and attempted to go back to sleep. A moment later, she felt it again. Sitting up quickly, she nudged the cat with both hands. With a meow of protest, Loki jumped off the bed and retreated underneath it. A soft buzzing sound suddenly broke the silence. Jamie scanned her room, but the room was too dark for her to see anything clearly. The sound grew louder, and again, she felt the light touch of, on her face. She abruptly jumped out of bed and cowered in the corner. A shadow of a figure appeared at the foot of the bed. Thank you, the figure said. Its voice was rough and unpleasant to her ears. Scared and confused, Jamie managed to whisper, For what? Without answering, the figure retreated slowly until he was swallowed up by darkness. Several minutes passed before Jamie was able to move. Trembling with fear, she walked across the room and reached for the light switch. The bright overhead light made her feel brave, and she searched her room. Underneath the bed, she found Loki sleeping peacefully, either unaware or unfazed by the visitor. After turning the light off, Jamie slipped into bed and pulled the covers up to her chin. Her eyes were wide, and her breath was shaky. She kept her gaze on the darkest corner of the room. If she really strained her eyes, she thought she could see flashes of movement. By morning, the fear had worn off, and by the time Jamie got home from school, she had convinced herself the figure was part of a very vivid dream. Throwing her backpack on the floor of the kitchen, she grabbed a container of leftovers from the fridge and headed off to her room. As she reached the top of the staircase, a familiar buzzing sound filled the air. She continued down the hall and reached out to touch the door handle. No. No more eating in your room. Jamie jumped and turned to see her mother hovering over her shoulder. Darn it, mom, you scared me. Jamie, language. Jamie ignored her mother and pressed her ear to the door. The buzzing was faint, but still audible. She glanced at her mother to see if she noticed the sound. But Pam only stood there with her arms crossed, a look of concern on her face. Jamie focused her attention back on the door and turned the knob. As she entered the room, the buzzing stopped. Puzzled, she looked around. You're cleaning your room today, right? Pam asked. Sure, Mom, Jamie answered distractedly. 
I'm serious, Jamie. This attitude has to stop. I said okay, Jamie shouted. If you don't, I'm going to. Jamie turned and slammed the door shut in her mother's face. Like the previous night, she searched the room, opening the closet and even every drawer, but she found nothing. The buzzing sound didn't come back. Sitting on her bed, she absentmindedly picked at her blanket. She was seeing things, hearing things. She knew none of it was real. Her mind kept playing tricks on her, but she didn't know why or how to stop it. It has to be mom's nagging, Jamie muttered aloud. She's driving me crazy. Literally. She decided to clean her room. Jamie rolled over for what seemed like the 20th time and groaned in frustration. She was tired, but sleep was evading her. She settled on her back and watched the ceiling fan for several minutes. The spinning was calming, and as she focused on the soft breeze cooling her face, she felt herself start to drift off. A loud thumping sound made her snap to attention. She sat up. She hadn't seen or heard anything unusual in days. As she peered into the dark, the buzzing sound started. Please, no, she whispered. Seconds later, the figure appeared at the foot of the bed. Where's the food? it asked. What? Jamie squeaked. The food. Who are you? Food. I'm sorry, I... I need sustenance. I don't know what that is. Food. I need food. You're just a dream, Jamie stammered. I'm as real as you, little girl, the figure said closer. Jamie whimpered and eyed the door. It was so close. She could reach it in seconds. Her mom would know what to do. The figure could sense the girl's fear and moved back a few paces. I'm sorry for being so aggressive. I haven't eaten days and I'm very hungry. What, what do you want me to do? Jamie asked. All I need is food. Can you bring me food? Jamie shook her head quickly. My mom said I'm not allowed to have food in my room anymore. There must be something you can do. There are others who need food too. Jamie was trembling uncontrollably now. There were more? If I give you what you want, will you leave me alone? The figure didn't respond. Desperately, Jamie said, I can sneak you food, but I'm supposed to be sleeping now. Can you wait until morning, please? The figure was silent for so long, Jamie thought it wasn't going to respond. Yes, it finally said, but not any longer. The figure vanished into the darkness, and Jamie's body immediately relaxed. She fell backwards against her pillow and began to cry. She was terrified, unable to even move from her bed. She called out for her mother, but her voice was too feeble to emit much sound. She stayed there, weak and unmoving, until her room was filled with light from the morning sun. From the corner of her eye, she saw movement, and she knew it was watching her. For how long, she didn't know. She had not yet seen the figure in the light. In the dark, it was nothing but an outline, black and faceless. With a deep breath, she turned her head toward it and nearly screamed. The figure came closer, as if it wanted to see her. It was tall and slender, with wings that went all the way to the floor. Its skin was like a kind of organic, corroded armor with short, thick hairs growing from it. Its eyes were huge, and its mouth was like nothing she'd ever seen before. It appeared to be a large fly. When will the food be ready? The fly asked. Stunned, Jamie struggled to untangle herself from the bed covers. Her mouth moved, but no sound came out. The fly watched her wordlessly as she stumbled over her feet, heading backwards towards the door. She didn't want to take her eyes off of it. In one swift movement, she opened the door and nearly ran down the stairs. Her mother was standing at the kitchen counter making coffee. Did you sleep okay? Pam asked. Jamie briefly looked her mother's way as she pulled open the refrigerator. She piled food into her arms and left the room without answering. When she returned to her bedroom, there were five additional flies, all huddled in a circle in a corner of the room. That is not enough, one fly said, staring at the packages in her arms. I can get more. Please do. To hide the new arrangement from her mom, Jamie began leaving the food under her bed or in the closet. Every day she would come home from school and raid the kitchen. If her mother ever noticed the amount of food that disappeared, she never mentioned it. At night, Jamie could hear the flies buzzing as they came out of hiding and congregated around the food. She had sneaked a peek at them only once. There were so many of them. From then on, she kept her face buried in her pillow and her eyes shut tight. It seemed like they were th it seemed like it was hours before the buzzing stopped long enough for her to fall asleep. They rarely spoke to her. After several weeks, however, the flies began to get demanding. 
She never brought enough. She never brought what they needed. The flies had rampant appetites, and it left her room a mess. Crumbs and scraps of food littered the floor. Different smells permeated the carpet. Pam was constantly griping at her about the mess, but the flies loved it. Jamie, you have to clean your room. I don't know what to do with you. I'll clean it later, Jamie promised. You always say that. What's going on with you? Jamie knew her mother was concerned. She wanted to tell her mother about the flies, but it was an unbelievable situation. When Jamie was away from the house, she could hardly believe it herself. It was only when she heard them that she knew it was really happening. It's a divorce, isn't it? Her mother asked softly. Jamie could only shake her head. Yes, it is. You've been so different lately. You lie to me. You talk back. I know you've been taking things from my purse. I've seen you push Loki around. You're living in filth, for God's sake. I'm sorry that your father and I couldn't make it work, but I don't know what to do. How can I make this better for you? The pleading look in her mom's eyes sent a wave of guilt through James's, Jamie's body. It's not you, mom. Promise. That afternoon, she cleaned her room. Jamie knew the flies were there before she even opened her eyes. Though they weren't buzzing as usual, they were chattering loudly. In the morning light, she could see them all clearly. She watched them for several minutes. When they noticed she was awake, they swarmed her, batting their wings furiously and poking their limbs in her face. What did you do? One fly shouted. She wants us to die, snarled another. She buried her face in her hands and let them yell at her. She finally shouted, No! Go somewhere else! I don't want you around anymore! She kept her head down for several minutes. When she looked up, they were gone. Startled, Jamie walked to the spot that the flies had stood seconds before. She couldn't believe it had been that easy. She heard a soft knock on the door, and her mom poked her head in. Your room looks so great, hun. Do you want some breakfast? Oh, sure. Hey, she said walking closer. What happened to your neck? Pam gently touched the reddened area of her throat. I think it's just a rash. Jamie moved her mother's hair away and peered intently at her skin. A smattering of large, red bumps blemished the right side of her neck. It looks awful. It hurts a little, but it's fine. I put some cream on it. Pam moved towards the door, but quickly turned back around. You know, I had the weirdest dream last night. It was so dark, I couldn't see anything. But I could hear all of these... I don't know, buzzing sounds almost on top of me. She shook her head. Anyway, pancakes okay? Jamie stood still for several minutes after her mother left. She had a very vivid dream, that's all, and rashes were common, no sense in making this a bigger deal than it was. Everything is fine, Jamie whispered. It wasn't them, it's just a rash. She repeated those words to herself until she suddenly collapsed to the floor. Please don't hurt her, she cried. Please. Jamie, are you still up? I thought I heard you walking around in your bedroom hours ago. It was almost midnight, and Jamie was curled up on the living room couch, staring at the blank television screen. Underneath the blanket, her legs were trembling. Whatever her mother had heard, it wasn't her. Pam motioned for Jamie to join her. Come on, let's go to bed. Why don't we put it on a movie and watch it in here? It's too late. We can make popcorn and... I'm tired, honey. What about a game, Jamie? Bed. Jamie trudged up the stairs, her mother a few steps behind. At the corner, her mother kissed her cheek and said goodnight. Jamie watched as her mother went into her bedroom and closed the door. She wondered if the flies were in there, waiting for her mother to fall asleep so they could feast. Earlier in the day, she had resolved to tell her mother everything. She rehearsed what she was going to say and tried to predict every possible reaction her mother could have. At dinner, she had been so close, but she panicked. Her mother would never believe her. Jamie had never felt so helpless. She flipped on the light to her bedroom and took a look around. Her room was still spotless, but it looked wrong. She couldn't discern exactly what it was, but something had been touched. She paced around the room drawers in and out, pulling the blankets off her bed. She got down on her hands and knees and peered under the bed. And she screamed. Pam rushed into the room seconds later and wrapped her arms around the still screaming child. Jamie was thrashing around on the floor, her arms and legs beating in the air wildly. What's wrong, Jamie? What is it? Pam desperately tried to restrain her daughter. She hugged her tightly against her chest and she felt Jamie calm down. The two of them were intertwined on the floor. 
What's wrong? Pam asked again, softly this time. Jimmy began whimpering and pointing to the dark space just a few feet away. Pam hesitated, but when Jamie began to cry, she reluctantly crawled to the bed and lowered her head to the floor. Jamie's sobs grew louder as Pam stretched her arm out underneath the bed. She began to pull her, bo- her arm back, and they both watched in horror as a paw, leg, and then head appeared. Pam flinched. Jesus! They did this, Mom. I know it! Jamie screamed. Who did? Pam asked quietly, staring at her daughter. The flies! These big flies! I was feeding them. I'm so sorry. And it's not a ref. They bit you, and they did it to scare me, all because I cleaned my room. Her mother's gaze returned to the carcass in the middle of the room. Are you listening? They bit you, and they killed Loki. I told them to leave us alone. I tried to make them leave us alone. Jamie struggled to contain the sobs. Mom? Do you have a box? What? Mom? Jamie stuttered. You believe me, don't you? I'm going to get Loki out of here, and you're going to clean the rest up. Pam gagged and held her hand over her mouth. Do you believe me? Pam sighed. No, Jamie, I don't believe you. You've been sneaking food up here for months. For them! You lie to me constantly. You cuss and slam doors in my face. But this, Mom, please! Pam threw her hands in the up in the air in frustration and left the room. She strode back in with a box in one hand and a little bucket in the other. She placed the box on the ground, gently lifted Loki, and placed him inside. I'm calling your father, Pam said from the doorway, the box under her arm. We'll need to decide what to do with you. Please, listen to me, Jamie pleaded. She hugged her arms around her knees and stared up at her mother from her spot on the floor. Pam looked at her daughter's tear-stained face. No, for once, you are going to listen to me. You are going to stay in this room and clean up the mess. There's a rag in the bucket for you. No, don't leave me in here. Pam slammed the door behind her. Leaning against it, she shook her head, unable to believe the situation she found herself in. Pam never would have believed her daughter capable of such a horrible thing. But her behavior had been so odd lately, and now she was talking about giant flies. From the kitchen, Pam called her estranged husband and explained the situation. She had awakened him, and he wasn't happy about it. I have a dead cat in the garage right now, Eric. I would say this is pretty serious. Listening to the agitated voice on the other end, Pam clenched her teeth. Fine, why don't you talk to her? Jamie, she called up the stairs. Get down here, your father wants to talk to you. Pam lowered the phone to her side and rubbed her eyes. She just wanted to go to bed and pretend this incident had never happened. She strained her ears but heard no movement from upstairs. Jamie, now! Her eyes fell on the water bowl near her feet and she gagged again. Jamie! Calm down, for God's sake, she heard Eric say. Fuming, Pam stomped up the stairs. The door to Jamie's room was ajar. She pushed the door open with such force it banged against the wall. For a minute, she didn't know what she was looking at. There was a mass on the floor, a black, moving mass in the center of the room. As Pam watched, a pale white hand poked its way out and reached upwards. The mass began to rise, dropping black clumps as it ascended. Suddenly, the door slammed shut, causing Pam to turn around with a gasp. The door was covered in tiny black flies. Almost paralyzed with fear, Pam turned toward the mass. She suddenly knew what it was. A thousand tiny flies were moving, crawling all over and eating their way into her daughter's body. The flies pulled away, leaving the now lifeless body of Jamie falling to the floor. Jamie, no, Pam cried softly. The flies swarmed Pam. She waved her arm, erratically trying to fight them off, but it was pointless. They attached themselves to every inch of her body, and she collapsed to the floor. As her body hit the ground, her hand was jolted open, and the telephone slid away. Pam? Pam? What's going on? Is everything okay? Pam? Oh, wow. That was insane. That was I was not expecting that. Neither was I. That ending got me. I, yeah, I hate the end of scary stories where people actually die. Yeah. Like, that's just... Um, also, that little girl was only 10. She was only 10. Yeah. That is insane. This poor thing. No, but at first I was that like... That actually blew my mind. Oh, yeah, at first I was like, that's disgusting. She has food in her room and her cat has fleas. Yeah, and I'm like, it really builds... I don't know. Yeah, me too. <laughs> the fleas thing caught me so off yeah. guard. 
I still think that's weird that her mom was just okay with the cat having fleas, but you know what? It's okay. <laughs> to each their own. Mm -hmm. No, but if only her mom would lay off about her room being dirty, they'd all still be alive, so. Yeah. Yeah, good. Did we just learn a lesson we here? did. <laughs> dirty rooms, that's the answer. <laughs> that's the way to go. Messy rooms. Dirty rooms Always. save lives. <laughs> Should we give it a rating? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's like rate out of it. 10 or out of 5? Out of 5, maybe. What is it out of on the website? So, like, yeah, they, on the website, tell us what it's, it's out of 10. After, but, like, is it out of 10? It's five? out of 10, so maybe we should do 10. Should we rate it out of 10? Yeah. Then? Like, 10 stars? Yeah. Or what? Yeah, 10 stars. Like, I'm not giving it 10 stars, but... <laughs> no, I'm going to rate it, like... I want to say, like, a 6 or a 7. Yeah. 6.5. We'll go 6.5. Fair enough. Linda, what are your thoughts? I think I would give it a 7. I really like the ending. Did not see it coming. Yeah. I think I'd have to give it a 6. It just felt... I don't like bugs. I think that's it. Yeah. And I didn't like the visual of like the life size flies no, standing over that your was bed. Weird. I really didn't like. And then that. at the end, they were small again. So I don't know if they were just playing tricks on her or. Either way, like flies playing tricks on me is. <laughs> I no do not want you. flies messing with my brain. No. Um. <laughs> no. Do not come in my no. room. Every time I see a fly in my room now, I'm gonna be like, oh my god, this is the start. <laughs> <laughs> it's beginning. No, but on Creepypasta, that story has a 7.97 out of 10. So we are rating a little bit lower. Yeah. Let me see the reviews. I think there's reviews. So this one says, and that's why you should always keep your room cl clean, kids, which is funny because we said the opposite. <laughs> we literally <laughs> said the opposite. Um, that is funny. This one says, holy crap, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. how I felt. <laughs> this one says, This was very well written. The character is totally believable, but talking flies? Yeah, honestly, For though. You. That is kind of where I got Yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel like had they been monsters or bugs, it would have really elevated the story. I agree. Well, no, maybe flies are creepy, though, you know? Because they're real. Maybe not life-sized ones, but... But they, real. They do exist. <laughs> okay, so the story I'm reading from Creepy Pasta is called I Must Have Gone Mad During Quarantine. And this is from Austin F. I give up. This is my eighth day in quarantine more like solitary confinement because I have lost track of time and I live alone in a bachelor apartment I am stuck ordering groceries online getting food delivery even some succumb to having my brother deliver some wine for me to get me through the loneliness I have tested negative for COVID which is a good thing however due to public health guidelines I might still I must still isolate for another seven days. It is getting harder every minute. I recently moved into this apartment and it is cheap if you ask me. However, I was informed that the previous tenant took her own life in this apartment and it is well known in the city. I guess that this is what quarantine does to you, but unfortunately during this time it is the only rent that I can afford. In a typical bachelor apartment you have a bed a desk, a kitchen, a bathroom with a shower, and maybe a dining table. No room for anything else. I like to think of it as a bed-to-door situation, as I can hear everything in the hallway, and really, whoever's in the hallway can hear everything I am doing and saying. There is a door that leads to the stairwell, and my door to the apartment happens to be next to it. Whenever someone steps into the hallway, I can hear it. I've gotten accustomed to it, as there is nothing much else to do besides ignore it. If someone has loud feet, I can hear it. Rarely, I'll hear my neighbors. I recently got my buzzer code for the door set up on my phone, 
I am new to this apartment, so the property managers just reused the same number from the previous tenant. This apartment is nice, but small. It was not meant to be lived in 24 hours a day. I even recently saw some cockroaches, and I had to immediately get it fumigated. I am paranoid about poisoning myself daily, but the company assured me that the chemicals they use are not lethal to humans. What a relief. My friends check in on me, though. FaceTime and Messenger, it feels warm and comforting to catch up with them. I feel envious when they are out enjoying their nights or going on socially distant dates, or not so socially distant dates, in some cases. For me, I am lucky to get through a movie without feeling Lately, I have been hearing a man screaming outside of the bus stop outside every morning at 5.30 a.m. I informed my property manager. She said that she has not heard any complaints about this man yet and that I should contact the police. I peeked out of my window facing the bus stop to see what this man is yelling about, but it seems to be gibberish. I cannot understand what he is saying about, about some nights I just... I cannot understand what he is yelling about, but some nights I just want to yell at him to shut up. But I do not want to put myself in a situation that could be harmful to me. My buzz code to my apartment is displayed on the door outside, after all including my apartment number. My apartment could easily be found when following the signs inside the building. The thing I worry about the most is what could happen if somebody let this deranged man inside the building. He waits for the bus that comes at 6.05 a.m., and then he does not return until the next night. Another cockroach rocks across the keyboard. I immediately squash it with a tissue. This is the fifth one in two days. I look around my apartment and look for any other signs of infestation. Nothing. Where are these cockroaches coming from? I call the property manager, and she explains that it is not the building, but the area surrounding it. I don't believe her. But cockroaches are interesting that way. You cannot run from them. No matter where you go, they are there. And if you do not see them, they are still there, living in your deranged pipes. The idea of it just sickens me. At least the apartment was sprayed with chemicals to reduce it. However, the property manager also said that you cannot smell the chemical they used. I wonder if they even sprayed the apartment at all. Am I being lied to? My phone starts ringing. It's the delivery man saying my food is here. I tell him to buzz up as I cannot leave my apartment. My phone starts ringing and I dial 9 to buzz him inside of the building. I hear him coming up the stairs. I'm eager as I'm getting hungry and that pad thai is calling my name. I hear the door from the stairwell creak open. And then a knock on my door. Knock. Knock. Delivery from food go. I'll just leave it at the door for you. I let the delivery man know I was coming and I can hear him placing my food at the door. The stairwell creaks open, and I hear him walking down the stairs back to the exterior door. I open my door and grab my food, but then I'm hit by a foul stench, almost as if something has died in the hallway. There are a couple of cockroaches walking across the wall in the hallway. Disgusted, I close the door and start unwrapping the plastic bag that my food was in. I open the pad thai boxes and immediately cockroaches start pouring out of it, crawling all over my hands. I jump up, disgusted, and now there is a sea of cockroaches gathering around my feet and climbing up my legs. I swat them off one by one. This apartment is tiny, so there is no way for me to even run from them. Knock, knock. Is someone at my door while I'm handling these cockroaches, I yell? Give me a minute. And I squash another, and then I squash a few more. The rest suddenly stop crawling toward my feet. Instead, they crawl towards the bathtub and go down the drain, almost as if they were instructed to. Knock, knock. Someone is still at my door? I didn't hear any voices behind the door, not even my neighbors asking if I'm okay. I check the peephole to see in the hallway who it is. I see nothing. I open the door to peek up. I look down and see the delivery man lying in front of my door with his hand extended toward my doormat. Cockroaches were crawling all over his body, going inside his mouth and nose. I immediately close the door and call the police. Could this man at the bus stop have done this? I'm thinking about what I just saw, and it wasn't just the cockroaches.
Minutes ago, I heard the delivery man walk in and drop off my food. Just now, he looked like he had been dead in the hallway for years. I open the door to see him again. The body is not there. It is day nine now, and I feel like I am going stir-crazy. Even since I moved in here, I feel like I am always here. Since the pandemic began, I have had to isolate myself so much. I thought about joining those conspiracy groups that have the COVID and a hoax just to pass the time, but I know that is unlike me to do that. I just find it so difficult to be here alone in this apartment, even after the ordeal of the delivery man. Oh, and to just let you know, neither the property manager nor the police investigated it. They assumed I was having a nightmare. Since there is no explanation for why that bodily that body suddenly disappeared. According to public health, it can take up to 14 days for this virus to show symptoms. I am sort of a hypocrite, so I tend to overthink any symptoms I have. I have to tickle my throat for a couple of days now, but I drink a lot of hot tea to burn it. It is cold season anyway, and being alone in this bachelor has made me sicker than usual. It is funny though, that when I looked at this apartment online, it had great reviews. It said that the property manager takes care of the tenants and is available practically 24-7. It is true, the property manager set up my buzzer number at 6am and answers my calls any hours of the day. We even made jokes on the phone about my fumigation chemicals, especially about how I shouldn't lick the floors. I sometimes wonder if I should, so then I can see what would happen. The tickle in my throat is acting up again. I cough. I immediately Google if that is a sign of COVID-19. The internet says it is a symptom, so I become more paranoid. Does that mean I have to stay in this apartment for even longer? I cough. I encountered someone positive for COVID-19 nine days ago, and that is why I'm isolating. But to me, if I tested negative, why do I have to keep isolating? I am not one to distrust public health guidelines. I know, as it could be a false negative, but I feel fine, besides the tickle in my throat. I cough. I try drinking some water. It feels like I have a lump in my throat, so I think this might help. I start choking on my water. I guess I went down the wrong tube. After another proof is coughing fit, I start to breathe normally again. I lower my face on my desk and I hit my chest to see if that will change my coughing. A cockroach falls out of my mouth and lands on my desk. Knock, knock. It is day 10 now, and the days keep flying by. I again lost track of what day it is. I seem to be repeating the same thing over and over, but I do not remember what happened the day before. I started writing this on the day 9 of my quarantine, but what happened to the first 8 days? When I read the previous entries here, I am in disbelief. After all, I swear I started having nightmares and cabin fever around this time, but the days are becoming the same. I have not seen a cockroach yet today. I have not heard my neighbors walk in the hallway for a while. Some days I feel like I am the only person who lives in this apartment building. A dog barks from across the hall. How exciting that there is a furry friend that lives in this hallway. This is the first time I've heard the dog bark, so I assume that they just moved in. I'm okay with it. It is from way down the hall, so I barely hear it. I hear the door open from down the hall. I am assuming that the dog and its owner are about to go on a nice walk. I am jealous that they can leave. I start to miss the outdoors. I walk to my door and check the peephole to see if I can spot the furry friend. I hear the dog move closer to the stairwell door, and then I don't hear anything else, not even the owner. How did the store door open? Where did they go? I hear growling. Knock, knock. I hear loud barking noises on my door and suddenly vicious scratching. I stay back from the door and the scratching and barking keep going. It's as if the dog is trying to break inside. I immediately yell, stop or I'm calling the police. Suddenly it stopped. I almost feel like it must have been some kind of prank or something. Obviously, it couldn't have been a genuine threat, since I would have been torn apart by this apparently savage dog by now. I feel like it was to make sure that I was still inside this apartment. I do not know what to feel anymore. It is day 14. 
the day I can break my quarantine. I call my friends to tell them they can see me now. I have no other symptoms and I feel better than I have in these last two weeks. I do not seem to remember them. I did not even write it in this Word document. I understand what it feels like to be a prisoner during this time when other people have to isolate. They usually have a partner or a roommate to talk to or in the meantime to just get through it. Unless they are positive for COVID-19, in that case, I hope they are isolated from their partners. Knock, knock. Strange. I have not heard the knocking in a long time. I do not even remember the last time I heard it. Knock, knock. Who is there? I have to write this down before I forget again. I found a note. It was crumbled, and I found it in the back of the heater. I was so bored, I decided to a deep clean under the heater vents to get rid of all this dust that I can. I will write what it says. Day 13, quarantine. I am repeating the same day over and over. I am being watched. There is a knock on the door every day. I am writing this to whoever lives in this apartment after me. Knock, knock. You made a mistake. I know that this place was affordable, but this place is cursed. The previous tenant before me, who was into satanic shit, the people around you are not expecting what you are. The property manager has no idea. Your friends have no idea. If you look very closely, you will see the outline of the summoning circle before the front door. They didn't clean it properly. There's a delivery guy that will come and knock. Don't open the door. He has been dead for years. He was brutally murdered by the guy who lived in the satanic apartment. He was trapped. I am in a trap. You are in a trap. And it won't let you leave. If you try and call for help, you will be forced into questioning your reality and what you saw. The only hope is the man at the bus stop. He sees what you are seeing, but there's nothing he can do to stop it. I am sorry. There is no way out. I give up. The end. Wow. Oh my gosh. Oh, I, I like that twist with the man standing at the bus stop. Well, I was at like, first I thought he was going to be. Yeah, I was like, why did they like, mention him? Me too. Him? I did not see it coming around. Like, he's not relevant. Why were they talking about Yeah, I did not him? see it coming. Then he was. I don't know. It seems weird to me. Like, could, he couldn't just leave the apartment? He couldn't just walk out? No. Ugh, That's kind it was of, yeah, so why so many bugs? It was so it visual. Was. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Like coming Disgusting. out of his mouth and out of his food. Ooh. That's like my worst nightmare yeah. being stuck and like the day just repeating. That would be terrible. It was so disgusting. Yeah. What would you guys rate um, this out of 10? I think I'd give it like a 7 or an 8. It was pretty good. It was, I don't know. I was a little confused. Yeah, I want to say like yeah. seven range. Yeah. Um, I'm going to see what it got. Looks like this was right oh, so at 7.6. Oh, Pretty you were close so close. That one. Mm-hmm. Did you like it, Linda? Yeah. Honestly? I did. Yeah, I liked the twist ending. I really liked like the man sitting yeah. at the bus stop who could actually oh, see but couldn't help. I definitely saw Me it going too. a different way. Well, once it started on the Same. bugs, I was like, oh, here we go again. Cockroaches are going to eat her. I know. I was like, can we yeah. pick a different <laughs> subject? We don't like bugs. <laughs> None of us <laughs> like bugs. Okay, guys. So my story is called A Night at the Farm by Ryan Chris. And it is also from Creepypasta. As they walked up the front steps of the house, Tommy could feel fear set in. The view of the old farmhouse in the fading sunlight was enough to send chills into your bones, and for some reason, they were going into it. He could feel his arms and legs grow weak as he stepped onto the rickety porch. 
Standing in front of the door, he could see the paint chipping and rotted areas that exposed large gaps between the boards. He pushed open the front door and entered the house with a loud creak and a gust of dust being blown about. His throat was tight. Even if he tried offering the others words of comfort, he would have failed. Tommy lit the lantern and proceeded into the entranceway. The inside was more intimidating than the outside. A long hallway with an open living room on the immediate left, a door at the end of the right side, and a staircase at the very end. It seemed very simple on the inside compared to the size of the house from the outside. The air became thicker and made it hard to breathe. It must be my nerves. Tommy steeled himself and moved into the living room, dropping his overnight pack and sleeping bag around some dusty, rundown furniture. The others followed his lead. Charles voiced his thoughts aloud. Why the hell did we agree to do this? This place is really a slum, stated Cindy. They moved further into the living room and cleared off the debris from the rundown and rotted furniture. Tommy immediately took a defensive position. Look, guys, don't be a bunch of babies. We said we'd stay the night in this stupid house, so let's just get this over with. Mark chimed in. Haven't you ever seen any horror movies, Tommy? This is exactly how they start. A bunch of stupid kids going into a haunted house to stay the night. Tommy laughed. Come on, man. This isn't some bull story. This And this house isn't actually haunted. It's supposed to be the boogeyman's house, right? Cindy continued, the boogeyman? I haven't believed in the boogeyman since I was three, Tommy. I'd be quicker to believe this place is just haunted by some creepy spirits or something. Exactly, Tommy said in a matter-of-fact manner. Tommy felt a bit better now that they had opened up conversation. He wasn't sure he would make it all night in silence. He had been second-guessing their adventure at every step of the way, but now it was too late. Darkness had settled around the farm, and the dim and cold house grew dimmer and colder. The chill in the night air had begun to penetrate the walls, and the kids set up their sleeping bags in a small circle around the living room. They were too proud to admit to each other that they were all scared senseless. No one would venture away from the lantern, not even to use the restroom. He was sure they all had their own flashlights, but the lantern seemed to offer some comfort to them, and just like the others, Tommy had no desire to leave that bit of comfort. They passed small talk for a while, trying to avoid silence as much as possible. When it was quiet for too long, he could feel insecurity creeping into his mind, like every bit of his instinct was screaming danger. Tommy had to keep reminding himself, it's all nonsense, it has to be. That was the whole point for tonight, anyhow. They were there to challenge their fear and come out tomorrow laughing about the whole bogus idea. They pulled out some overnight snacks and began eating. Once everyone had finished the snacks they were working on, Mark pulled out a bottle of 151 from his pack. I brought refreshments, Mark said with a mischievous look. Cindy responded, yeah, that's what we need right now. Let's pour some stupid on top of stupid. Tommy laughed and said, hell, a little liquid courage isn't stupid. We'll all feel a little bit better after a few swigs. The bottle was passed around and everyone took a few shallow drinks at first. He had been right. Tommy could feel feel the chills ease off as the liquor ran down deep into his core, feeling hot in his chest as he took it all in. They continued passing the bottle and finally succeeded in fending off the atmosphere. Tommy felt alive again as the buzz kicked in. With his fear under control, Tommy decided to take the next step in his plan for the night. He had prepared a story to rile up the group. So, without any more hesitation, he began with a hushed voice. Quiet down, guys, and listen up. He dimmed the lantern for a bit of atmosphere. Tommy continued, The story of the boogeyman starts right here, in this house. About a hundred years ago, they say he was an outcast, always driven away by the other kids of the town. You see, he was born with a strange skin disease that corrupted his body and face. The other kids called him a monster, a ghoul, often running away as if it were a permanent game of tag. As the years of loneliness went by, the boogeyman grew strange and demented. People of the village would often find shrines on the edge of the farm made of animal parts and sticks. Whether the boogeyman had grown fond of evil spirit rituals or was simply trying to keep people away from his home, no one really knew for sure. The group was sucked right into Tommy's story. He had them right where he wanted them. Tommy continued, After the boogeyman's parents passed away, he was no longer seen at all, not even on the grounds of the farm. The town had grown curious as to whether or not he was still alive or if he had starved to death long ago. The only remnants of his existence were the shrines positioned around the farm. 
which were exact which were quickly replaced sorry anytime they were vandalized or broken the younger children hearing stories from the townsfolk began to grow bold and venture onto the farm to get a look of the ghoul with no luck finally the children even ventured to the house searching for the boogeyman a pair of brothers who were brave enough decided that they would see the ghoul no matter what and they entered the house with not so much as a knock the brothers never returned not even a sound was heard the door was had snapped shut quickly after the boys had entered and no one was brave enough to follow after the children toward, told the townsfolk of what they had witnessed there was an uproar a mob assembled in the town that night and marched on the farmhouse the boogeyman opened the door to the entire town and raged with torches and farm tools outside his front porch jeering and shouting about justice and vengeance the boogeyman had no words for them so he was branded a murderer and the mob grabbed him from the porch, tied him to the stake, and then proceeded to burn him alive. The relief the alcohol had offered had vanished quickly. The lantern's light seemed somehow dimmer and windows were black. Cindy shifted uncomfortably and the other two looked around nervously. Even Tommy felt the atmosphere shift drastically. He could feel the fear creeping back into his chest. His chest was getting tight and hard to breathe again. The darkness had grown so dense that they could feel it pressing in on them. They pulled up their sleeping bags a bit as the chill began to pierce their thick clothes. He had become lost in his own story. There was no stopping without finishing what he started. Tommy took on a darker tone as he persisted. The town was restless after they had sentenced the boogeyman to his fate. Following his death, children of the town would go missing without a trace, never to be found and it was always believed that the children were taken by the spirit of the boogeyman. This was, in part, because of the many shrines that were still present on the borders of the farm, and also because of the events that had preceded the boogeyman's death. The townsfolk avoided the farm as much as possible and taught their children that it was a cursed land. For 40 years after the last of the disappearances, the farm was left alone, until one summer a group of four kids, much like our group, decided to adventure into this house to prove that the legends were fake and face the supposed curse that their elders had been so convinced of. They had entered the house as the sun was setting. They were so convinced that the legends were false that they were willing to stay the night. As the night overcame the house, they began to search the house. When the night had finally settled in and the house had grown as dark as it could, they were shocked by the sound of a sudden voice echoing through the whole house. I've got you where I want you, and now I'm going to eat you. Tommy, I really don't want to hear this. Can you stop? begged Cindy. He could tell fear had regained his, its grip on his friends, but was still unable to stop his story. He couldn't understand why, but he had to finish. Again, Tommy persisted. Stop being a wuss, Cindy. The kids were terrified by the voice and cried out, Who's there? There was no response, only the dark house. They began to move further into the house, looking left, right, and all over for anyone who could have been responsible for the words that they had heard. They had come to the top of the stairs when they heard it again, but this time it was clearly from the bottom of the stairs. I got you where I want you, and now I'm going to eat you. They were shaking in fe fear, terrorized by the voice that was taunting them. They mustered up their courage, thinking it had someone pulling a prank on them. Plenty of their friends knew they were going to, to brave the house. They went to the door at the bottom of the stairs where they thought the voice had come from. I've got you where I want you, and now I'm going to eat you. The voice had been just behind the door and somehow seemed even more sinister than it had ever been before. Mark had a vague look of disbelief while Charles had settled deep into his sleeping bag. Cindy had all out had all but disappeared into her sleeping bag and scooted herself as close to Mark as she could without actually crawling into his lap. Tommy felt some satisfaction, but was also struggling with his storytelling. He was reeling them in deep and he knew it. It was like he had lost all control and someone was telling the story through him. The wind pressed against the house and whistled gently through the gaps in the windows and front door. Leaves were gently pushed across the floor, making soft scraping sounds. He allowed for a brief moment of suspense and then continued his story. The kids pushed the door open slowly with shaking hands. The room was empty except for a dining table and a chair. A single candle ignited on the table, revealing a grotesque figure sitting in the chair. His face was rotted skin, but taut and bruised. His eye sockets deep and dark with pure white eyes staring into the void. He raised his hand to his face and brought his long, skinny, skeletal finger to his face. On the very tip of his finger, a 
horrid, large, and very green booger. I got you where I want you, and now I'm going to eat you. With that, the boogeyman gobbled up his booger with excitement. The kids ran in terror. The sight of the boogeyman eating his booger terrified them so much that every time they saw a booger, they were scared speechless. You stupid son of a, squealed Cindy. Yo, you had me going so good there, Mark retorted, smiling but slightly dumbfounded. Charles said nothing, but began a silent giggle fit as he buried his face into his sleeping bag. Tommy felt the air lighten a bit. Completely satisfied with the results of his story, he thoroughly enjoyed himself while his friends laughed it off. The lack of control he felt had disappeared, and he felt his buzz more prominently than before. They were back to a group of friends, camping out, enjoying the company of each other. Then he heard something he did not expect. Mixed within the laughter of his friends, there was a harsh rasp of the leaves that almost matched the laughter of the others, like someone else was laughing along with them. Tommy's heart jolted as a chill shot straight through his bones. He could feel goosebumps rise across his arms, legs, neck, all at once. Did you guys hear that? Tommy asked as the group laughter subsided. Bro, you already got us. We're not going to feed it right back into you. Mark responded with a big smile. Tommy stared at Mark for a moment, unsure of his feeling of dread, but decided that it must have been his imagination. He responded, Haha, you're right, man. Let me get more of that. 151. Mark passed the bottle to Tommy, and Tommy took a drink, gulp after gulp, until he felt his uneasiness fade a bit more. His mind quieted a bit, but was still on edge. He was no longer imagining what could go wrong, but instead felt as if they were on the edge of a cliff about to plunge to their doom. Mark, who had drank quite a bit more than the others, out of nowhere, announced his amazing idea to the group. Okay, okay, let's do something cool. I'm actually gonna start, going to start enjoying this. What you thinking? asked Cindy. We should play hide and seek, Mark said with a maniacal expression. Cindy nervously laughed while saying, you should come up with something worse while we're already in the middle of this bowl. The group's vibe had smoldered quickly as everyone realized this meant they would all have to go off by themselves alone in this creepy house. Charlie and Cindy contested heavily until Tommy spoke up. Good idea, Mark. I'll even go first. Tommy's half-hearted smile must have worked. They all stopped complaining and begrudgingly, Charles and Cindy wandered into the darkness, each with their own flashlight, quickly followed by Mark, while Tommy stayed alone in the living room. Tommy watched as they walked around the corner and out of sight. He began by closing his eyes to the world and methodically counting out loud. One. The wind rustled the leaves a bit more as the sound of footsteps disappeared. Two. A steady, slow creak reverberated through the house. Three. Complete silence engulfed Tommy. Only his own breathing could be heard. Four. The earth grew dense and his heart began racing. Five. He began to realize he was entirely alone. Six. Unable to withstand it anymore, he opened his eyes to the dimly lit room. Seven. Panic began to set in. Tommy gently turned up the lantern to brighten its flame. Eight. He stood in his place, staring desperately into the hallway, dread flooding his mind and chills through his body. Nine. He braced himself internally. Damn it. Ten. Here I come. Tommy carefully stepped into the hallway, flashlight in hand. He bounced it from the left wall to the right wall and back. Well, while he wandered deeper down the corridor opposite the front door, all the liquid courage had drained from his veins only to be replaced with an icy chill. It reminded him of a time he'd gotten a saline drip during his last hospital visit. The little warmth had washed away from his limbs and stomach with every step he took. He felt sickly and cold sweats had come over him by the time he reached the bottom of the stairs. The hallway corridor was small and made Tommy feel claustrophobic. The candle holders on the wall were extremely rusted and thick with grime. There was fresh wax melted onto the sides, which Tommy thought was odd, but couldn't focus on what that could mean. The only other thing in the hall was a door at the bottom of the stairs on Tommy's right, opposite the living room that they had been nesting in. There was no handle, just a brass ring, so Tommy pushed on the door. The wood groaned with the stress of being pushed, but it didn't budge. Must be locked somehow. Tommy wasn't inclined to pursue anything locked up in this house needed to stay that way. He slowly began to climb the stairs. With every step, there was a jarring creak in the boards. How did I not hear this when I was counting? The silence was suffocating, so every little sound that he made was surprisingly loud. This only added to his anxiety. He felt like he needed to be quiet to not be heard. Tommy reached the top of the stairs to see another small hallway running in the same direction that the hall below had run. 
It was almost identical, except there was no front door at the end. Instead, there was a large window, and there were three doors in this hallway, two on its right side and one on the side with the staircase entrance. There was a muffled thump of the, from the bedroom at the end of the hall on the right. Bet they're freaking out just as much as I am. Tommy felt a small bit of relief. He knew being with at least one person would make this more bearable. He walked quicker as he went to the room's door, another brass ring, but when he pushed it on this one, it swung open. There was a small bed with bedside tables on either end, all covered in a thick layer of dust. The dust on the floor had been stirred a bit as if someone had walked through it, but Tommy could not make out any footprints. The trail of disrupted dust led to a large wardrobe at the back of the room. Tommy crept up to the wardrobe, but did not wait long before throwing it wide open. To his surprise, there was nothing inside, just more thick dust and an old farmer's shirt hanging up, well-worn and rotted. A very soft noise came from behind him, like someone moving on the bed. Tommy's heart jumped into his throat as dread took over him. His mind was racing. He spun on the spot, expecting one of his friends to be sitting there, holding back a laugh at their little trick on him. Instead, there was a black figure on all fours. Two eyes were barely visible on a disfigured, blackened face. It was too dark to make out anything clearly. As soon as Tommy saw it, before he could shine the flashlight, the creature flung backwards off the bed and scurried out of the bedroom with a terrifying speed and an unnatural way of crawling on all fours, like it had a twisted spine that forced it to crawl. At that same moment, wind blew in from the only window in the room, and the bedroom door slammed shut. Tommy sat down right there, clutching his chest. What the hell was that? He said to himself out loud, and it definitely was not human. Tommy had experienced a new feeling, absolute terror. He registered that he was in shock, but he couldn't fight it. He didn't know how he could. Then he thought of his friends hiding somewhere in the house still and got a bit of his strength back. We need to get the heck out of here now. Jumping to his feet, he was no longer worried about being quiet and he knew there was something that he needed to do. Running to the door, he grabbed the brass ring and pulled. The door wouldn't open. The wind behind him continued blowing and there was a scraping sound that began to get loud behind him, like something being dragged across the wood. Tommy felt his heart jump again, but wouldn't look back. He pulled and pulled until finally the door swung open. He ran into the hallway and spun around, shining his flashlight toward the sound that was behind him. There was nothing, just the same bed and tables. He had been so sure, though. There was definitely something behind him. He couldn't remember a time in his life when he had felt this helpless. Tommy looked around the hallway again, wondering where the creature had gone. Guys, let's go. Screw this. We need to get out of this house, Tommy yelled. A few moments went by and the house was just as sickeningly quiet as it had been since his friends went to hide. He took a step towards the door across from the room he had come out of. Then he heard a voice call out, I got you where I want you and now I'm going to eat you. He couldn't believe it. Here he was wondering if he'd actually crap his pants in terror. While some freaky unknown creature running around this horrid house, his friends were messing with him. It had sounded like Mark but he wasn't exactly sure where he heard it from either the doors near the stairway or the back downstairs. Mark, let's go, man. This isn't funny. No more games. Come on, guys, he cried out. Tommy could hear his voice shake with every word. They must have been having a blast with this. He came to the door by the stairway. They had to be here. Tommy was convinced of it. There was nowhere else that it could have come from. He placed his hand on the door, ready to face whatever could be on the other side. Taking a deep breath, he began to push. Again, the voice called out to him. I got you where I want you, and now I'm going to eat you. Tommy had frozen in his spot. The voice was coming from the stairway, but it seemed like it was also coming from everywhere else in the house. Ignoring the heavy pressure on his chest, he turned back towards the stairway and approached the stairs. I got you where I want you, and now I'm going to eat you. The voice rang out again, crisper, definitely from the bottom of the stairs. The room at the bottom, it had to be. They must have put something in front of the door to keep me out, Tommy thought. He descended the stairs carefully with every step creaking again as he climbed down. As he reached the door, he looked down the hall and saw the front door. The light from the lantern in the living room had all but burnt out. Suddenly, he had this strong urge to run. The door was right there. He didn't know where the creature had gone, but he was sure he could get away. His thoughts seemed to have run ramped. You can't leave your friends. You can't. You have to go get them. You have to. Mark's voice sounded as clear as being in the living room earlier. I got you where I want you, and now I'm going to eat you. Tommy looked at the door by the stairs. Thinking about wringing Mark's neck gave him just enough courage to push on the door again. It gave away easily this time, and soundlessly swung open to an almost pitch black room. The moonlight shone through the window opposite of Tommy, just enough to cast silhouettes of his friends sitting at a dining table, one on each side of the table and one in the middle. 
A candle ignited in the middle of the table, casting just enough light on the room for Tommy to see everything. The table was covered with body parts and organs, all on display on serving dishes. There was blood on everything. The dishes, the table, the floor, the walls, and it was even spattered across the ceiling. His friends' heads had been attached to scarecrow bodies in each of the seats at the dining table, leaving only one seat with a headless scarecrow. Tommy couldn't comprehend what he was looking at. How, how is this what? Tommy's thoughts trampled all over each other. The urge to run came back even fiercer than before. He had to run. He needed to get away as soon as he possibly could. Tommy was still frozen where he stood, unable to run, unable to do anything. He just kept looking at the scene of his friends posed around a dinner table of their own body parts. Then he heard it from right behind him, a soft voice mixed with a scratching voice, like the leaves on the floor being blown about. It whispered into his ear. I got you right where I want you, and now I'm going to eat you. <gasps> oh my god. That was insane. Yeah, that was. I can't believe. Yeah, no. Crazy. Like, first of Ugh, all. I didn't even like No, but that if one. your friend were dead. <laughs> no, where am I going with this? You'd almost be glad, because that would be the meanest prank to play on someone. That would be terrible. I know. But seeing your friends like I'd that, almost like, just wanna, heads trapped off on top terrifying. of a scarecrow? You wouldn't want to, like, yeah, that's so scary. survive after that. That would be so traumatic. That would be terrifying. Also, the room I'm in right now, it just has, like, a huge picture window in the front of my house. Oh. And it's the sun is setting, so it's, like, getting darker. And I have a candle oh going. Gosh. And that's the only <laughs> light. And it's so creepy in here. Well, at first, when it was, like, the booger part, I was like, man, that's a good story. Like, nice, funny, and I'm into it. And then it wasn't that you know that's what i yeah. thought too i was like this is gonna be yeah. cute but it definitely wasn't what do we think it was rated i think it was rated like or what would a we rate nine it? for spookiness it was pretty long but it was good it was long i felt like i was reading forever <laughs> yeah i think i would give it like to eight or nine maybe an eight yeah an eight yeah eight or okay, nine it was rated 7.99 oh, out of wow. ten okay i know pretty good pretty good someone commented an 80s horror style movie yeah definitely <laughs> scary but cliche it was pretty it cliche was. but like i, I liked, liked it, it. yeah you definitely knew well i don't know cliche but in a good way yeah it was i couldn't decide whether it was going to be his friends playing a trick or whether like the boogeyman was actually yeah, gonna eat too. them and I like that it went into the history of it too. Like it was like this is where the boogeyman came from. Yeah, like the little history of the town yeah. and stuff. Made it more realistic, I think. That I was fully a, agree. I thought that was a good pick. Thank you guys. Well, um, we are at the end of our podcast. Does anyone have anything they want to say? Any closing arguments? Well, that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in.